0: Oh gosh, there's so much to say about this, isn't there? There is and there isn't. There's a lot you can say, but it still keeps
1: coming round to... It goes round and round in circles, I think. Hello and welcome to Izzy and Gina in Stitches, informal conversation about life in general and art and embroidery in particular, with me, Gina Ferrari.
0: And me, Izzy Moore. Hello, how are you this
1: week? What have you been up to?
0: I am very well, thank you. I have been, in some respects, a very busy bee, and in other respects, um, not really, because I've been completely... This is sort of a diversion and a distraction, and it's also a what have I been up to. It's sort of all in one. Um, So, (laughs) I was inspired after our last podcast about the sewing machines... And so much so that when we finished recording and when I was editing it, I was thinking, yeah, I really must see if I've still got that old singer. And so as people know, if they follow me on Facebook um, and Instagram, I have been up in the loft <laughs> and I have got down that old singer. But not only have I um, got it down out of the loft, which was a bit of an exercise in itself because it's so heavy. Yeah. Um, I've actually now got it serviced. And it's got a brand new motor. And um, because I the old motor, I knew the electrics were dodgy anyway. It was dodgy when it went in the loft 20 years ago. And I found out how old it is. It's from 1948. And the motor, I always assumed it had been stuck on and it had initially been a hand crank one. But no, they were actually supplied with the motor. So that was a 1940s piece of electrical equipment. that's really
1: interesting
0: yeah so there's no way I was going to plug that in so um, it's been serviced I've got a brand new motor and it is absolutely beautiful so that has been such a massive diversion (laughs) um but but a nice
1: diversion yeah
0: and um I've discovered it actually does such I mean I've always heard people say oh you know I love my old thing and it does brilliant machine embroidery I thought yeah 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 but they really do it's so smooth it's like silk the way it stitches and um, I don't know if it's the new motor I mean obviously it must be because that's what's supplying the electric there is no other electrical component to it there's no motherboard or anything controlling anything it's just this motor but it is so fast really (laughs) yeah it's really fast i think it's faster for machine embroidery than the bonina which goes uh, quite a whack and this it's really fast but because it's um just a very simple motor it doesn't stop when i think it's going to you know with a modern sewing machine a really good one you take your foot off it stops instantly this one i need a bit it needs to sort of run itself down it runs itself down to a stop. So I have to anticipate where I want to stop and then take my foot off before I get there. Taking your foot
1: off the, off the accelerator or a car and just waiting for it and to, come to cru- a stop. And then just cruising
0: <laughs> to a stance. Exactly. It's exactly cruising, like
1: that. Cruising,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a different way of stitching. And uh, you really don't want to bend a needle at all because it's just got a little hole in the needle plate, not um, the zigzag slot. Um, but I think that's what makes the stitch quality so good as well and and yeah it's great so I yeah it
1: doesn't sort of waver and
0: yeah so I am inspired and I was thinking of doing a free motion embroidery course and I think if I do or if or when maybe I do it I'm I had a thought oh maybe I should film the whole thing using my sewing machine from 1948 how that that? would be
1: a challenge that would be good
0: it would be a challenge yeah (laughs) I don't know if I'm making a rod for my own back there. anyway it's inspired me but it's also inspired himself um upstairs because um he spotted in our local sewing machine shop they had a whole load of old sewing machines for sale at very reasonable prices
1: yeah you can can pick them up quite reasonably yeah. yeah
0: and um we had a look on Facebook at the post on Facebook just to try and because of course he remembered late at night and only told me <laughs> late in the <laughs> evening he said oh I know what I meant to tell you <laughs> and uh, had a look at the photos and I could see in the photo of the one in particular we were thinking of the sticker on it was the same chap who serviced my 201 oh, okay so we thought oh well if Alex has done it then we've got to get it because it's going to be really good and right. um, so I will just mention Alex Askeroff as well because he's the chap in Eastbourne I've known about him for years recommended him to my students over the years uh, just on the basis of what other people have said about him yeah. and he he comes out to you and he services your machine and he's always been you know I was told he's you know it's very reasonable prices and I thought, if anyone's going to know about this old sewing machine, it will be Alex, and right. and so and he oh, so I'd heard about, it, but I'd never met him. But he is such a lovely, lovely chap, and he's so funny, and he's so knowledgeable, and he's absolutely brilliant, and he's got a whole YouTube channel he's got so many videos about old sewing machines and there's a day in the life of you know him about his business and that has been just it's just really inspiring and it's and it's inspired himself upstairs as well he's you know inspired into looking at vintage bicycles again and uh,
1: I can tell you fired up
0: (laughs) yeah fired up we are absolutely fired up how about you what have you been up to
1: Oh, lots and lots of things, really. Mostly painting and drawing things. So I'm still going with a 100 Day Project and I've signed up for some free courses, things like that. I did another one with the London Drawing Group where we did portraits like Francis Bacon style. Well, it wasn't really like Francis Bacon. I'd love to draw like Francis Bacon, but no. (laughs) So that was fun. But the one that I'm really, really fired up with this week is Gabriel Lipper.
0: Right. Okay.
1: American artists, figurative mostly, and it's quite interesting because last year I did CVP, which is the Creative Visionary Program with Nick Wilton, and I am going to say this because everybody raves about it and says how it changes their life and changes their art and everything else, and I just didn't get it.
0: No, do you
1: get it? Do you get it? Yeah, do you get no, it? Do you get it? Yeah, no, that okay. don't wind me up, but. <laughs> sorry you know and it obviously does change people's life and it obviously does make a huge difference so it does work I'm not knocking that but I just I don't like the way he paints and everything was shown in terms of little squares and circles and funny shapes and it, I just didn't engage with me I could see what he was saying
0: yeah you could see the principle but yeah
1: yeah I understood the principles and I couldn't see how you apply it well Gabe Lipper has put this free course together. I I imagine it's going to be promoting a paid course later on. And within 20 minutes of him talking about colour, I was like, oh yeah, wow, (laughs) I understand this. Is it too late to sign up? No, you can still do it. You can still access it this week. By the time the podcast comes out, it will probably is probably okay for you, but probably too late for everyone else. But do it next year, guys, because it's
0: okay. I will bear that in um, mind. Because the reason I didn't I sort of saw it was coming up. I'd heard it mentioned, but I'm not on his mailing list or anything. I think because it's portraits, it's
1: um Yeah. I mean it's not that, all portraits. Right. I mean, but obviously I'm quite interested in portrait. Yeah,
0: but, and I and I'm not, so I just didn't yeah. really tune into it. Okay.
1: But it was the same principles of using shape but breaking down portraits into shape even or whatever he was painting in shapes and talking about the same thing but also talking about this limited palette and color I mean I think I understand color theory I've done a lot of it I've taught it but actually just his approach to color it just made it sort of make sense yeah so I was really really fired up with that I have to say that's
0: that's really interesting because that reminds me of something something that popped up in Art Tribe the Facebook well it's not yeah. just Facebook is it it's a group it's an artist Facebook, group yeah. that we both belong to and there is a Facebook group but what you've just said about how you didn't really engage with what Nick was saying about art but you have with Gabriel that ties into something someone said something about there's there's more than enough teachers out there Sure, you know we don't don't need another teacher I don't need to teach what I do because you know I'd like to but there's more than enough people teaching this stuff already and I said yeah but you know like you and me Gina we're both teaching the same thing thing, don't we yeah the same thing machine embroidery and but we both have our own unique take on it so you like your portraits and I think that's coming up as part of your course isn't it yeah that's one of your your things you're really engaged with you yeah
1: and it's, it's about finding what you engage with as yeah. an individual. And sometimes it's personality. I mean, I, I find yes. Gabe Lipper, Lipper, rather, much easier to engage with. Sure. And his yeah. enthusiasm, yeah. I kind of engage with that. Whereas, yeah. like you say, if Nick Wilton says, do you get it again? I think like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to smack the screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: And that seems mean because he's well. He obviously comes across as a really nice guy, but it's just
0: yeah. He's very he's very enthusiastic. Yes, and I do have to say actually, um, because I've been following his freebie courses for several years now, and um, over the years I've also had his newsletter, and every now and again he um, sends out a video or something, and I think one of the videos that I remember watching. Is actually part of the course, the, his paid course further on, right. but I saw it for free several years ago, and immediately I took it into a lesson I did um, with my machine embroidery people, and it's about this idea of painting over the edges, going beyond the edges of your canvas, right. um, so if in effect doing a cropped effect, because we all know if you take a photo of your work and if you crop it. It instantly makes it look. Oh, it looks so much better. better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I did that as an exercise. I gave people a piece of paper and I had secretly on the back drawn a square, but I didn't show them that bit. We I just showed them the piece of paper face up. I think oh, we right. did it on the floor for some reason with big stick brushes tied to big sticks. I don't know oh. why. Um, and they did this thing and they were like, oh, this, this is so rubbish. This is so difficult. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've done a really useless <laughs> painting. And I said, okay, right now turn it over and they saw the square I said right now cut that out brilliant and then they went oh that's so good what they had done they could instantly <laughs> see and one lady uh, who was there she still remembers that now and she's done the same as us she's done lots of the city and guilds courses all the way through mm-hmm. and she said that's one of the most useful design tips I've ever been done yeah. and I thought well that's straight from Nick Wilton and so in that sense you know it's changed changed her life a little bit yeah. in that she still used and you can pick
1: up different things from different people I mean everyone's got something to offer haven't they so yeah something slightly different yeah so that was my big thing okay. I think little portraits and things like that and playing around and the other big thing is I got vaccinated yesterday
0: go you <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> they're really rolling it out I mean I I'm not that old people <laughs> I'm <laughs> kind of that old but um I'm not up 70 end of uh, my 60s so hmm. um, we
0: are awaiting our call but we're a little bit we're behind. You. younger than me yeah we were very excited when we got our flu jabs before Christmas though we're old enough to have those now yeah
1: well Stuart's only just turned 60 and he came along and got his as well so yeah they're rolling out very quickly with us so exciting exciting.
0: exciting
1: so shall we get on to our main topic shall we get on yeah big meaty one isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah and As we were saying at the beginning when we were just meeting before we started recording, this is a big, meaty topic, but it could
1: also be quite simple. So art versus craft, where do we stand with that, (laughs) really? And where where does our work stand within that, doesn't it? It's as well. But I think let's start. What do we mean by art and craft, I think?
0: Because I was going to say, where where did we start? Where do we dive in? So... I think, you
1: know... How do we define it? Is there an overlap? Yeah
0: so you start off.
1: Well certainly current sort of definitions that I've been finding is that art is about an expression of emotion and it's something to be contemplated whereas craft is sort of based in function and it's a form of work so it has use and that's kind of where it's differentiated but I mean it goes back historically doesn't it where fine art was always painting and sculpture. Yes, And yes. that's where it starts to get really complicated because it's very much a male. <laughs> there is that. That's another... So that's another angle, but maybe we'll come back to can of worms there, isn't it? A whole can of worms. I think it, certainly when we start to talk about embroidery and where it stands yes. in art and craft.
0: Yes, yes. Going to this history thing that I have found wow. out, they were saying that it actually goes back to the Renaissance. Yeah. So before the Renaissance, people were paid um, for the craftsmanship they had patrons who commissioned works, buildings or whatever. And they yeah. were paid sort of almost by the square foot for whatever it is they were building or for however yeah. long it took, um, Sort of paid by the hour, really. And then after the Renaissance or in the Renaissance, there was a group of painters who negotiated to be paid according to the artistic merit. Instead, there was this switch. Right. This group of painters and someone, uh, Georgia Vasari, apparently wrote a book about them, and yes. it elevated them well, into this yeah. sort of like this celebrity status. And that's yeah, where the book I
1: can recommend it.
0: <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah. And that's where the division comes from. And then those who were maintaining the traditions, they became known as artisans. Yeah. And um, then you had the artists, so that's where the distinction comes from. Uh, traditionally. Yeah. And I think then that's that's where we've then ended up with this sort of feeling that it's a hierarchy with art at the top. Because one of the definitions I've had kicking around on a little post-it note actually for ages, because I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, because wrestling with this idea of is what I do craft or is it art? You know, it's obviously something that cannot op- occupy your mind if you're in this sort of creative world. So I came across this definition that says, if it's from a kit, you're a hobbyist. And if you are adapting or improving the technique, you're a craftsperson. Whereas if you're adapting the work to reflect your own interests and self-expression, that makes you an artist. But it simplifies
1: it a little bit too much, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) But it's also putting it still in this hierarchy.
1: Yeah. That, ones, I think art, that's,
0: that art is at the top whereas actually maybe yeah. they're equal value but they're just different
1: they're different but that's not where it all comes from is it I mean this whole art versus craft debate exists because art tends to be put at a higher level it's considered better which is not necessarily the case yeah, yeah. and I think that's why there is a debate there wouldn't be a debate if that hierarchy didn't exist
0: no and also knowing because in a way another way of looking at it is you know the whole question of does it really matter and in terms of when we're making something it doesn't really matter what we call it it only matters if we want to sell it um, because there's obviously a difference between the difference in The sort of price you can ask for, whether it's craft or art, and so it's only when you come to sell it that you, yes. So you, it's only when you come to sell it, yeah, that you need to work out where you are in that market. So that's only an issue if you're trying to sell what you do. And then, even then, even then, you could paint something and you think, oh my goodness, this is so wonderful. This is the best thing I've ever painted. And you might sell it or it might end up, I don't know, in someone else's hands. And they then might say, oh, it's a hideous painting, but I'm going to turn it into a tea tray or use it as a dinner mat. Mm-hmm. And it then has a function and it's not a piece of art. <laughs> so in a way, whether it's art or not, is in the eye of the beholder, not the person who's made it. Well, or could collector. <laughs> yeah, you could make a vase. And it's, it's a function. It's something to put flowers in. And then, you know, 100 years later, someone might find it and think, oh, that's just beautiful. And put it on a shelf as something just beautiful to look at. And it
1: becomes well, I mean, art. Take Grayson Perry. He yes. makes pots, doesn't he? He's a yes. ceramicist, mostly. I mean, he does lots of other things as well. And I think, well, there's no doubt nobody would ever take, call him anything other than an artist. And he's working in the fine art world and he's getting fine art prices, but he makes pots he makes pots Uh, yeah so obviously there is a crossover you can't just say one thing or another because I was thinking about this because we got an email I don't know if one from Jane was the one that you were going to talk about
0: um yes it was um about patchwork is that the one you you were going to read out yes
1: yeah where she was given a question in an exam and this was only in the 1980s yeah 1980s a
0: three-hour city and guilds
1: exam though that's that's it's horrific because yeah. we didn't have to do three-hour exams no we didn't do exams at all did we no <laughs> and it's the question was patchwork is a female domestic craft and should remain so i guess it was then discussed <laughs> i thought yeah. that's appalling
0: yeah because she said she's remembered it word for word yeah. so that obviously it stings doesn't it it, it stings. does is it it's the word female domestic craft it's, it's very pejorative
1: it's very sort of putting you in your place but this is again what I touched on earlier that after the renaissance I mean certainly before the reformation things I mean, If we're actually talking about textiles now in particular
0: yeah
1: men did embroidery and they it was ecclesiastical embroidery and yeah. the women who did the embroidery were the assistants and helped and so it was very much a male thing and then after reformation and this didn't happen anymore and then suddenly embroidery became domestic it was in the domestic sphere women did it in the home yeah and so therefore it was downgraded
0: i have got this little snippet here that i have cut out of the waitrose freebie newspaper really (laughs) (laughs) um i pick up a couple of coffees when i'm going through just because it's good for fire lighting but I, i actually you know before i put it in the basket by the fire i do have a little leaf through um, cut out the recipes, get distracted that way, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Anyway, this caught my eye, and I was just so incensed by the beginning of it. I had to cut it out. And I thought, but I'm good to talk about that with Gina. It says, get into embroidery. Once something your granny did by the fire. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then brackets, not that there's anything wrong with that. In, there's so much in here. <laughs> Which is almost a bit like saying, you know, I'm not a racist, but or yeah. I don't want to upset you or no offence. Yeah. I'm going to say Some something. really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say something really rude and offensive anyway. But yeah. oh, yeah, no offence. So, yes, once something your granny did by the fire, not that there's anything wrong with that. Embroidery is becoming a hot trend. So, <gasps> well, that as well. Becoming a hot trend um, you know, we have, some of us yeah, have been doing this for this a long time, time mate. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says, with Instagrammers posting beautiful images of everything from cross stitch to ribbon work. And I thought it wasn't invented on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this sort of Instagrammers are as if this is suddenly a
1: thing. Yeah, but do you think that's a generation thing where everyone thinks they're the first ones to have done anything, yeah. I suppose?
0: and whoever yeah. wrote this is obviously thinking, oh, this is, a, this is a brand new hot trend. And also then it goes on. It goes on, it says, it's a great stress reliever too. And I thought, not always. No. <laughs> <laughs> then, oh, you can't worry about news headlines when you're counting cross-stitch
1: no oh dear
0: oh dear and then it goes on to talk about a kit that you can buy from John Lewis
1: all Um, right okay that was promotional yeah but oh honestly there was so much in there I was just and I think this is part of it because certainly when we're talking about textiles which obviously are not the only craft things it's very much in the domestic it goes in and out of fashion and so I think that's why it will always be perhaps seen as craft
0: And I think it is because it is something that is domestic and it can be useful. Yeah. You know, having a sewing machine is useful. You can make curtains, you can make cushions and all that sort of thing. And you can do it in a very utilitarian way. Indeed. And it's almost like the thing, you know, everyone's got cameras on their phones now so is everybody a photographer yeah everybody's got um like computers and stuff we can all write we can all and we can all put our words out there on the internet as well does that mean we're all writers so if you so you know if you make things what's the difference between someone who's just making something and sewing machines aren't as ubiquitous as they once were because there's a generational thing isn't there as well with Some people just grew up with sewing machines and knowing how to use them and younger kids aren't necessarily. Um, So because it's something that's just sort of so ordinary and everyday, saying it can be more than that as well, is that-
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: know, Are we we sort of getting too big for our boots suddenly wanting
1: recognition for what what we do? Again, I I think along this lines, it's about what you produce and it's the same with art. painting type art as we're using this definition there are good and there are bad paintings just like there's good and bad embroidery and just because you call it art yeah Yeah. if you're making art you're an artist but it doesn't necessarily mean you're making good art
0: yes because this goes to something because like I've I've told you at the start I've been talking about this with Nick with my husband and because he's um, a writer he writes for his living he does copywriting but he's also a poet as well so this whole business of whether it's art or craft is quite interesting to him so if you get him on this subject oh he's off for hours (laughs) we were talking about the difference between trying to sort of decide where things fit and we've come up with the idea that if it's craft plus a concept then that's art you know an idea And if it's manufacture, because I think there's manufacture as well.
1: Sure.
0: If there is a hierarchy, is that at the bottom? So manufacture plus skill, that's craft. But if you have the art, so that idea, and you don't have the craft, then that's just chance. So that's where you get like elephants, you know, in front of a, you know, on a canvas or whatever, or people riding bicycles over canvases with going through paint spilt paint and stuff. Yeah is that art that you know it's just chance but also craft without any sort of artistic influence that's just manufacture that's just yeah making stuff
1: so does an artist have to be a good craftsman
0: i think yes i think they do
1: yeah kind of i was thinking about this because at the moment in my course i'm preparing stuff about tracy emin And controversial artist, I know, mostly because of her. She's controversial rather than her art. Now, back in 2011, I think, I went to see an amazing exhibition, a retrospective of hers at the South Bank, where she had her blankets, applique blankets. Yes. And first time I'd ever seen them in person. There was probably about 12 in this room. And they blew me away. They were just so amazing. Yeah. Reduced me to tears. I just stood in the room for ages. The power of them. But what made those art was it because it moved me yeah. um, as opposed to quilts hanging up at the Festival of Quilts because I will walk around there and see amazing quilts, incredible craftsmanship, beautiful to look at, but they don't move me in the same way. Yeah. Tracey M in blankets, when you get up close, the craftsmanship wasn't that incredible. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But the message in them was so powerful. Mm. So I thought that made me think maybe it's the intent behind something the intent yeah the
0: intent i mean i think when i say craft having all that skill um it depends what you're going to do with it if it's self-expression and you're expressing something or you want to get an idea across so like those blankets they weren't intended to be blankets so no. it wasn't. So it
1: wasn't craft.
0: It was a piece. They were like of banners. They were like yeah,
1: suffrage banners and things like that. They were getting a message across. And
0: also, she wasn't. She was exhibiting them for the message for the intent behind it. Whereas, if say you, did look
1: quite beautiful. Yes. It, it, the, the, Way she'd put different fabrics together, yeah. which is like another question
0: cool. as well. You know, does art have to be beautiful? Well, no, it doesn't have no, to. be, it doesn't does it it? have to be beautiful. Um, that that's another little thing I've written down. It here. <laughs> but say you are doing a painting and you're selling it, you know, as this is, you know, I painted this to express this, and the idea behind it is this. But if say someone buys it and then two years later all the paint starts to peel off um, and the surface itself degrades because you haven't finished it properly or the materials you've used. Yeah. I don't know. Is that, that's where I think. Yeah. You've got to know your craft. You've got to know your materials that they're going to be yeah. fit for purpose because there still is a purpose. But I mean, because some art is supposed it d- is temporary. So like earth art yeah. doing things in the woods and arranging pine oh, yeah. cones and these uh, Andy Goldsworthy, isn't he? Who makes the sculptures. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some things are meant to be temporary, but some things are meant to have you know, a bit of longevity. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so that's where the skill, the craftsmanship comes in, isn't it? With the, the knowledge of the materials. Yeah. But, yeah. but talking about the beauty thing, I've written down here. So, does art have to be beautiful? So, I don't think it has to be beautiful, but it does have to say something. And craft. So about, yeah, the craft. craft as well doesn't have to be beautiful, but it does need to be
1: useful. Yeah. I mean, when I say Tracy's, Tracy Emin's quilts were beautiful, maybe not necessarily in a conventional sense, but maybe their beauty was in the fact that they moved me in the way they did. I yes.
0: Yeah. So they served so their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. As a and piece so of art. Are,
1: it takes us right back to the beginning when we said art is an expression of emotion.
0: Yeah. I yeah.
1: guess.
0: Yeah. Or an expression of an idea. Um, but then in another way, if you think of it like that, so when the artist is making the art it's it's sort of inward looking in that they want to express something they're either expressing some emotion or an idea um it's all a bit sort of inward sort of me 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 this is what I think this is what I say or this is what I want you to think or feel um whereas craft is more sort of what what is needed what would work what does this person need um do they need you know if you're going to have a table it needs to be perfectly level and things don't roll off it um it has to fit a function so it's more sort of outward looking in terms of what people need or what would be useful for the person receiving it
1: indeed i've got another interesting one talking about sort of primitive or naive art folk art outsider art whatever you like to call these things and how that never used to be considered sort of fine art. No, that, now...
0: that's really interesting as well, because yeah. this program I was watching where they talked about the Renaissance, they touched on this. And uh, I was talking to Nick about it this morning and it closed a loop in his, his thinking that he has been bothered about for a while about folk music as right. well. So, I mean, the thinking was that um, art historians called some art forms primitive. So from different cultures, non-Western cultures. Non-Western art, yeah. Yeah, non-Western art. It was called primitive because it hadn't changed for thousands of years. Um, But for those cultures that art form that was like the preeminent visual form for that culture and so by making it they're keeping a tradition alive it's about it's, the whole point is that it
1: doesn't change
0: yeah and it's a way of communication
1: as well isn't it it's a f- yes form of communicating yeah form and... of
0: communicating but also it's a cultural thing it's you know why have you made that because this is our tradition and so quilts and wood carving and like chinese ceramics all fall into that and yeah. and folk art as well and folk music because folk yeah. musicians are very very skilled and you wouldn't say that they were less skilled than someone sitting in an orchestra in the festival hall but why is it slightly sort of pejorative, sort of folk music? You know, it's not really as
1: is one valued more than the other. Yeah, then.
0: exactly. But it's because they're not trying to innovate. That is keeping a tradition alive. It's not like primitive music or less valued. Um, it's different. It's just a different, different beast. Again, yeah. And so now, the the conclusion of the this. Um, discussion about this primitive art and how that fits in is would it be better to just say visual art and not have this distinction between art and craft because then you can include um, the cultural you know inverted commas primitive art Indeed. as well as sort of modern paintings and sculpture and
1: and I think we're probably agreed on that that would be a, a good way to do it but while while there's still this fine art hierarchy and why, while people are still willing to pay thousands and thousands of pounds for something yeah. because there are collectors, it will never change. No.
0: And I think that's that's going back to what I was saying about money. It only really matters if you then start talking money. Yeah, If you are looking to be paid for what you do or if you want to sell your work and you need to know where you're going to sell it. Because if you were setting out to make fine art, you wouldn't then sell it at the local craft show in no, the No, you'd Village want to Hall. be
1: represented by a gallery. Yes. Yeah.
0: And so it only matters then. But the rest of the time, could it just be, I made a thing? I made yeah. something. I, I created this.
1: Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I make and, things. and that's <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah, full stop. <laughs> that kind of brings us round to sort of, so what do we call ourselves? Yes, be because... Artists.
0: Well, what do you call yourself, Gina?
1: I call myself an artist, yeah. It took yeah. me a long time to get around to that. I actually hate the term textile artist.
0: I call myself an artist, but again, like you, very reluctantly, and I think I say textile artist because it, it's a confidence thing. Yeah, it does
1: pigeonhole you, though, when you say...
0: Yeah, you know, I know. the box. And I think on my website it says something like, I am a visual artist I think I described myself on my website right. as a visual artist and that my tool of choice is my sewing machine right and See, I, I don't even say
1: that I'll say I work primarily in textiles
0: yeah because well that was my but, first tentative yeah. step into not being just not just doing the textiles because a couple of years ago I started dabbling in paint as well and uh, looking to investigate other things and I didn't want to be pigeonholed at the same time though saying that I do tend to pigeonhole myself you know I I, my brain wants to put things in in boxes or categories or know where things fit and I think that's also quite a human um, impulse isn't it to categorize things that's why there is this debate we it's sort of we're sort of programmed to do it um we want to know where we are in the world we want to know where we are in the world where we are in society how we fit in what our status is um because obviously if you're called an artist not just a craftsperson there's higher status so we all fall prey to it because i think it's a natural human
1: yeah and it is a confidence thing yeah you have to feel you have to think well if I say I'm an artist and people look at what I'm doing and think, oh God, that's rubbish. <laughs> Who am I to say I'm an artist? I don't, that's where it comes from. It is that confidence that, well, look, yeah. I make art. This is my art. Yeah. yeah. But no, I've, it's taken a long time for me to do that. But I think maybe my background was more art before I got into textile.
0: I think that helps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have absolutely no art background at all because I wasn't allowed to do art O-level and I'm still, still cross
1: now. Yeah. Well. Um, I- I did most of my RA a level in my lunch hours. It wasn't, I only had half the timetabled lessons because I wasn't, then nobody really wanted me to do it, but I was determined.
0: You were determined. Yeah. I see. I should yeah, have got a rubbish grade
1: down. by the way though. So
0: yeah. And also it, it, that, that is just an excuse, isn't it? If I, yeah. you know, I shouldn't blame my school if I'm not an artist. It's nothing to do with them because I left left school quite a long time ago now.
1: Oh, well, it's nice to blame someone. <laughs> well, it is, but I do need
0: to take personal responsibility at some point.
1: I've just read something. Well, something else I've just made a note of is certainly talking about embroidery and its role is a good book is The Subversive Stitch by Rosika Parker. And a little quote I just read before we came online and I said, where she has said, I identified historical hierarchical division of the arts into fine arts and crafts as a major force in the marginalisation of women's work. Ah. I thought, yeah, there is this, yeah, the whole
0: putting it into
1: women's work.
0: Yeah, and as that thing said, like your granny did. Well, that's, that's a comment on your granny as well. They didn't meet my granny. <laughs> a force of nature, my granny. <laughs>
1: Indeed, yeah, yeah,
0: and yeah, she went to university. Nothing wrong with and... grannies? I'm a granny. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So that oh,
0: there's so much. I was wondering whether the free um Waitrose newspaper did a letters to the editor page.
1: Address. Are you going to write?
0: <laughs> oh, that would be
1: exciting. <laughs>
0: And just to finish with, I will say my favourite Grayson Perry quote as well, because I've got a little um, picture of Grayson Perry. He must have been in a newspaper supplement years ago um, with this little quote next to him. And I've got I cut him out and I laminated him and he's stuck on my (laughs) pinboard. And it says cozy is good if it looks nice and it makes you feel good. It's art.
1: Like that, Grayson. Yeah, that'll do. I thought, yeah, that would do me. Finish on, I think.
0: Yeah, that does. <laughs> I drew
1: Grayson Perry yesterday. <laughs> I saw that. It's very it's good.
0: Good. good. I realised who it was as well. So it's very good. I
1: wasn't, I wasn't yes. happy with it, which is why I did it twice. I'm still not happy with
0: it. <laughs> I forget his wife's name. What's her name? Philippa. 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 Perry. Philippa. Yes. And I recognise. I probably, yeah, to be, I've probably recognised her first. Yes. Yeah. And then I, I realised I that was.
1: that was the first one I did. And that was actually one of the Gabe Lipper exercises to do five minute. Drawings, three five-minute drawings every day. And wow. Says, it takes you 15 minutes. End of the week, you've got 21 drawings.
0: So, that is good. I am going to have to go and um,
1: investigate yeah. this. Yes. And also, I was using three colours, not pure primaries, but basic. Prim- so there was a yellow, a tone of red, and a greeny blue. and just used those three colours. And I used coloured pencils, which I've never done before, really, for a drawing. So. Okay. Anyway, I think we've probably... We could go round in circles talking about this all day, isn't it? We've kind of covered the main points.
0: I think we have, and I think we've said what we want to say. Yeah. Yes. So,
1: shall we go on to diversions and discoveries? <laughs> I'll just stop laughing and let you
0: start. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Diversions and distractions. Okay. So I have I have two this week. I've got two films. And the first one is my favorite film and it's based in Iceland and it's in Icelandic and the reason I've rediscovered it is because I sold a piece of work which I made um, a little while ago it's been in my Etsy shop and somebody has bought it and it's on its way to its new owner And it was inspired by the feeling behind it. Oh, talking about art, craft. Yes. The feeling behind it was this sort of dark brooding landscape because I had been watching a lot of Nordic noir and it came out in this piece of felt that I made and stitched. So it's quite dark and brooding with these flashes of colour.
1: It was lovely though.
0: Yeah. And I've always thought of it as my sort of Icelandic inspired piece of work. So I sold that and it reminded me, of the film, my favourite Icelandic film, and it's called "Woman at War." Okay, and, never seen that. Ah, and it's my favourite film because I love I love Scandi noir and yeah. sort of Nordic noir. I love all of that. And um, she's quite feisty. She's a bit of an environmental sort of activist, and so she's got a conscience. She's got a mission. She's also she's also quite sort of fit she all the shots are running across the Icelandic (laughs) landscape so she can run yeah she can run but she also does cold water swimming there's some cold water swimming in the film right and um, without giving too much away yoga also features and I do like a bit of yoga and she does some Tai Chi up in the mountains in Iceland (laughs) Uh, I've been doing my I am two moves off learning my whole Tai Chi form I'm so excited. I think I'm going to finish it next I, week. I
1: don't even know what that means.
0: <laughs> it's, a six, it's a 66 form Tai Chi sequence that I've been learning okay. over two years. And I'm two moves off learning the entire form. Wow. So, so this film, it's got, yeah. So she's an environmental activist. She's fit. She's creative because she does singing. She does cold water swimming. She does Tai Chi. But there's also, there's the knitwear. Fantastic (laughs) knitwear, and there's some traditional embroidery, some Eastern European embroidery in there as well. And the music is just quirky and really, really fun, quirky music. And it's just got everything. It's got everything. I want to be (laughs) Hadler, the
1: heroine of this film. That's one for me to watch. So that's
0: my first film, Woman at War. And then the second film, Um, Ties into our main topic today. And it's a very old film. And it's one I'm going to have to dig out and watch again because it's just so funny. It's a Tony Hancock film called The Rebel. Yeah, so it's called (laughs) The Rebel. Have you not? Oh, it's (laughs) absolutely brilliant. Basically, Tony Hancock is trying to be an artist. And he comes across some artworks that someone leaves. And he basically tries and passes it himself off as the artist who created this work and it is it is very good
1: fun yeah it's very good fun how about you I'm almost reluctant to do this because I thought every time I do devotion discovery it's something on television (laughs) and I don't watch a lot of television but it sounds like I'm glued to the television all the time but it was um I think I'd seen some friends mention the film The Dig about Sutton Hoo I thought that sounds interesting but oh it's on Netflix we don't have Netflix and then Stuart but came up and said, oh, The Dig, have you heard of it? It's meant to be a really good film. And I said, yeah, it's on Netflix. He says, no, no, it's on Amazon Prime. So I ah. said, you sure? OK, so anyway, we set ourselves up on a Friday night. We'd got a takeaway, a bottle of wine, <laughs> puts this film on. And about two minutes in, I'm saying, are you sure this is the right film? And he's saying, yeah, it's The Dig. And I'm then Googling. And it turns out <laughs> there was a 2018 film called The Dig, which was set in Ireland. And I have to say, you know, I'm saying it doesn't look like Suffolk. (laughs) So by the time we'd sort of established this wasn't the same film that we thought. You
0: were were engrossed in the storyline.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was so miserable. It was like a chap had come over. Oh, he'd been in prison for 15 years for murdering some girl. Been let out, gone back to his house, which was derelict in the middle of a peat bog, to find this dead girl's father digging the bog, looking for the body. And... So there was lots of digging. It was about the dig, <laughs> right. and he decides the only way to sort of help out is to actually help with the digging because he was blind drunk, has no memory of even killing the girl, let alone burying her. And there's the girl's sister in it and some pretty dodgy policemen. So they're the only four characters and it's all dark and moody, hardly any dialogue. <laughs> But lots of digging. Sounds sounds great, Gina. It wasn't. It was awful. But I'm not. <laughs> well, you know, it, we we lasted to the end. It was kind of interesting in a weird way. And I'm not going to tell you how the end works, just in case Ooh. somebody wants to watch it. Yes,
0: no spoilers.
1: So I then thought, right, blow this. I'm going to sign up to Netflix. <laughs> so I've signed up to Netflix, um, sold my soul, and we did watch the dig with Ray Fines and Carrie Mulligan, which was excellent about the findings at Sutton Hoo. So I can recommend that. But having signed up to Netflix, I thought, well, you know, I'm paying this £10 a month now. What, <laughs> what else, else can is I on
0: here? Yeah. Uh, so it must be. Yeah. So if it's Netflix, because we saw the trailer for it and it must be because we were going through because our daughter has Netflix and she has set us up at home so we can watch it if she isn't. We've got our own login for it and it's called the Olds. Oh, right. Okay.
1: So, yeah, because it always asks who's logging in.
0: Yeah, but... so we can have our own watch list. And I think we must have found the trailer as well. So well, i that, worth
1: watching. Good thank film. you for the reminder
0: of where we found it because it's the sort yeah. of thing we think, well, where did we see that?
1: But okay. I'll tell you the other thing, because we thought, right, we need to sort of get our money's worth on this. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we started watching the Queen's Gambit. Oh, okay. Which we've heard a lot of people talk about. Now if somebody told me I would be so engrossed in a series about a young girl playing chess, I would have said, What a lot of nonsense. But we are absolutely hooked. And that's what it is. It's a young girl learns to play chess, enters competitions, and it is like, Whoa, edge of your seats. I don't watch that much telly, really, honestly.
0: Honest, honest, Gov. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've actually put myself a ch- challenge that next time we speak, my diversion and discoveries have got to be something other than something I've watched on telly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Right. right. That's it, really? I think that's us, isn't it? Super duper. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and it provided useful food for thought. And so let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to know. So please do get in touch you can email us and you can also subscribe to this podcast as well and leave us a comment there that would be lovely and you can find us at ginaferrari-art.co.uk and isabelmoore.co.uk. and do we know what we're talking about next time have we decided i don't think we've
1: decided oh mystery okay yeah so tune in in two weeks time and see what we talk about
0: (laughs) yeah fantastic thank you very much for listening bye thank you bye and um i'm gonna start this section again gina are you i'm gonna start again
1: (laughs) i wondered where we were going (laughs) no
0: i'm going off one i'm gonna stop doing this right (laughs) Thank you for listening if you like the music it's by Ixon and you can find it at soundcloud.com slash Ixon and the link is also in the show notes